Hi everyone and welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I'm Nicolette and we're glad to have you joining us. On the first day of the year, Pastor Brian draws on several passages of scripture to bring us an inspiring message about the church on mission and how we are all called to live and proclaim the gospel. Did you know that essentially we all are missionaries? The church has a double identity. We have been called out of the world to worship God and sent back into the world to serve. This mission is for us all. If you're a Christian today, you are on mission. Jesus spelled it out for us. It's our task to get the gospel to as many people as possible. Pastor Brian will go through a few practical ways to be on mission in our day-to-day -day lives. We are all called to promote the name and power of the Savior. We are His hands and feet in the world. Wherever we are in our community, work, family, we are on mission. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is is a verse I want to use as a basis for what we're we're going to be looking at today. Again, our our title today, our our topic is the church on mission. You know, it's interesting. The word mission, um, as we use it, it, doesn't necessarily appear in scripture, but the idea, of course, is is there. And it is the idea that, that God has given um, a task to the church. And that task is basically to bear witness to the gospel, to spread the gospel, to bring people into the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done so that they might also participate in the kingdom of God and everlasting life. So in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter is writing to the church and he says this about the church. He says, but you are, so he's speaking to us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. So you're a, um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And you are to show forth the praises of the one who called us out of darkness. That's what salvation is. We've been called out of darkness. We've been called into his marvelous light. The, the great, um, really, church statement, uh, uh, yes, church statement, uh, evangelist um, of the last century, uh, the great British church leader, John Stott. Um, this, this is what he said about this particular passage that we just read. Let me read it to you. Because this really kind of sets a stage for everything that I want to talk about today. So he said, according to the Apostle Peter, according to the verse we just read, uh, the church is both a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, which is worship, and a holy nation to spread abroad God's praises, which is witness. Every Christian congregation is called by God to be a worshiping, witnessing community. Indeed, each of these two duties necessarily involves the other. If we truly worship God, 
we find ourselves impelled to make him known to others in order that they may worship him too. The church has a double identity. We are a people who have been called out of the world to worship God and sent back into the world to witness and serve. These are, in fact, two of the classical marks of the church. According to the first, the church is holy, called out to belong to God and to worship him. According to the second, the church is apostolic, sent out into the world on its mission. I love this whole idea of this double identity of the church, holy, called to worship God, and apostolic, called to take his message out into the world. And so that's our emphasis. Of course, as we've already said, this is the, the week of our missions conference, so we're gonna have people that are coming from all around the world to be uh, encouraged in their efforts to bring the gospel to people in other nations. And if you have free time this week, we'd love to have you um, come on out and be part of that with us. But as we begin the year talking about the mission of the church, and, and what I wanna do is I wanna clarify what the mission of the church is, because I think over the past few years especially, I think the church has, has experienced what you might call, um, or some have called mission creep. Mission creep is a way of referring to sort of um, drifting away from what the actual mission is and kind of you know, losing sight of, of the biblical description of the mission and in some cases uh, adopting other things as the mission. And so I want to start by just reminding us uh, of um, what the mission is not. And just a few things or many things that we could probably talk about, but I'm just going to um, mention a few. So, so the mission is not saving the planet in an ecological sense. It's not the mission that we've been called to. It's not saving the nation in a political sense. It's not saving our communities in a sociological sense. Now, it's not those things. Yet, yet individual Christians should and will be involved in efforts to improve the conditions of the planet. I remember uh, a few years ago, I don't know, four or five years ago, I remember being um, at the, the festival that we do in in the UK, and we were having different people share their uh, story, you know, kind of come up and share a testimony about something God's doing in their life. And this, this young guy came up and it was really astounding. Uh, he was a scientist and he was somebody who specialized in forestry, and he was actually uh, hired by the government of a particular country to come and see if he could do anything to salvage their forest. Because for some reason, I think it was some kind of a, um, uh, you know, some kind of a bug or something, their, their forests were dying. So he got up and he basically just told a story about, you know, loving the Lord and uh, following God's call on his life and how he ended up 
having an interest in this and he studied this and then he got involved. And so anyway, to make a long story short, he goes and he basically is able to discover what the problem is and to solve the problem and save the, the forest of this particular nation as a Christian. I mean, he saw this as this is what God was calling me to do. And yes, indeed, amen. That is what God was calling him to do. I agree with that. So there, there are going to be the individuals who are um, called to put forth effort to improve the conditions of the planet or to better the political state of affairs or to contribute to the healing of the societies that we live in. But the church collectively has a unique calling that no one else can fulfill. And so we can't get distracted. We can't get uh, focused as a church collectively on these other things, although individual Christians will certainly be involved in these things, um, we have to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is to hold forth Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the Savior and only hope of the world. That's our mission. To hold forth Jesus to a lost and perishing world that they might know through the witness of the church that Christ is the hope of the world. Now, let me just say this. The mission is not only for some Christians to engage in and not others. No, the mission is for all of us. So all of us are called to be on mission. Every one of us are called to be on mission. And that, that's an important thing to recognize because I think sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, well, yeah, that, that, I, I get that that person is and I understand that those people are, but, but that's not for me. No, all of us are called to this mission. So what is the mission? The mission is, and I'll put it in the words of Jesus. We read some of them a moment ago. Jesus summed it up in these words from Luke and Matthew 28. Luke 24 and Matthew 28. Jesus said, this is a mission. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name to all nations, making disciples of them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The word nations is the Greek word ethnos. It means people groups. So in biblical times and, and through much of history, they didn't have nations like we think of nations today. But of course, we've, we've always had people groups. And that's what Jesus is referring to. So remission, or repentance and remission of sins are to be preached to all the people groups. And they are then to be made disciples and to be taught to observe everything that Jesus commanded. Now in every nation, the majority of people have not heard the gospel. That is true in this nation that we live in. It's true in all the nations. The majority of people have not heard the gospel. Now, uh, some, of course, have heard about Christianity. Uh, some have come into contact with the church. Some even know at least the name of Jesus. Do you know that not everyone in the world has even heard the name of Jesus? There, there are places that people could go into today and 
asked this question, have you heard of Jesus? And the response of people would be, no, who, who is he? We, we don't know him. He, we don't have anybody by that name here. So they have no concept at all of who Jesus even is. But even if they have heard of Jesus, even if they have had some experience maybe with the church or have a general idea of what Christianity is, they still haven't necessarily heard the gospel. I mean, let's face it, I, I could say this about myself. I had heard of Jesus. I knew what Christianity was. I even went to a church when I was a kid, but I didn't hear the gospel. I never heard the gospel. Nobody ever told me this. No one ever told me the good news that Jesus died and rose again for me personally to defeat sin and death and to inaugurate God's reign over my life No one ever told me that for most of my, my young life until I was a young adult and I finally came into contact with that, that clear gospel message. So, so this is what we're called to do. This is the mission that God has given to us to make the gospel known to people. So here's the question, how? How is that done? And the answer is, in a general sense, let me say, it, it's, it happens through verbal communication. Now, there certainly needs to be um, deeds and, and lifestyle and things like that to back up the verbal communication, but it doesn't replace it. Now, there... Some of you, maybe you have heard this, some of you haven't. But there, there, there was a saying that would go around, I haven't heard it lately, but I've heard it many times over the years. Um, and it was attributed to uh, Francis of Assisi. And the saying went like this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, two things, number one, Francis of Assisi never said that. <laughs> so it's falsely attributed to him. Number two, you cannot preach the gospel and not use words. It's impossible. And God calls us to use words. He calls us to verbally communicate. He calls us to preach and to speak to people about Jesus. You see, some people say, oh, no, don't, don't preach to anybody. Just you know, just, just live a good Christian life and, and that, that's the way people will get, you know, that's how people are going to eventually come to say, well, <clears throat> yes, of course, we need to live a good Christian life because we need to have that backing up what we're saying, but it's not a substitute for what we're saying. Because after all, they might just think you're a nice atheist in the end. They don't know. Or a good Buddhist. No, we are called to verbally communicate. Now, we use the word preach, and we use this word frequently, and I just used it a minute ago, and it, it's, it's a good word. It's, it's the right word, but it's not the only word. And I think that 
I think we can become a little intimidated by the word. If I, if I say to you right now, it's like, okay, this week you need to go out and preach the gospel. I would imagine that most of you are going to go, what? I, I, can't, I can't preach the gospel. I, I'm not a preacher. But if I said this, if I said, you know, this week we need to go out and we just need to talk to somebody about Jesus. I would imagine most would say, well, okay. I mean, it sounds a little intimidating, but... At least I think I could do that. Well, you see, when the Bible talks about preaching, it's talking about both of those things. Sometimes it's talking about a proclamation or a heralding of the message. But other times, there's different Greek words that are used that are translated into English, you know, preach or tell or speak. Um, and so sometimes it's, it's just basically saying, talk to people. And, and we can all do that. Now, my granddaughter the other day, she said to me, and I still don't know if she was joking with me or not. She says, she says, Grandpa, you know that song, Hark, the Herald Angels? I said, yeah. She said, who's Harold? <laughs> now, I kind of think she was pulling my leg because I think she knows that there's no person named Harold. But I could be wrong. Uh, I'll talk to her about that later. Um, <laughs> but... When you think about even, even those words, sometimes, you know, we sing those, we, we've just been singing that great hymn, right? Because of the season that we've been in. Hark, the herald angels sing. What is that? Herald means to proclaim. They're heralding, they're proclaiming. So the question that I'm answering is, how, the mission is to get the gospel out. How do we do that? We preach. We proclaim, we herald, we speak and we tell people. So preaching, now in this sense, of course, preaching is, is directed to uh, unbelievers, people who do not yet know Jesus in a personal way. They might know about Jesus. They might even say to some extent they believe in Jesus, but they don't know him in that personal life-transforming way. So we are to preach to them, and preaching is carried out by gifted evangelists, but then ordinary Christians are also to be involved in this, ordinary meaning that they don't necessarily have the gift of an evangelist, but let's think of that more in the sense of telling or speaking, so we're not confused. There are some people that are called to preach. They are called by God to herald, to proclaim, to stand up in front of groups of people perhaps in a, in a you know, outreach type of a setting or you know, maybe some cases uh, even on a street corner or in a park or, or something like that. There are some people who are called and gifted to do that. Um, the majority of, of Christians, I think, are really called more to speak to people, to talk to people, to tell people who Jesus is, oftentimes by telling their own story about what Jesus has done. So we see this throughout scripture. The, the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You know, Acts is a, a history of the early days of the church. And you have so many examples of this type of a thing going on in the book of Acts. So as we're talking about being on mission, as we're talking about getting the gospel out, maybe even this next week or so, take and just make your way through the book of Acts. Just read through it. Take you a few hours to get through it. You don't have to do it all in one sitting. But 
but it will refresh your mind once again about how um, they went out and they preached the gospel. In some cases, gifted evangelists, Peter, Stephen, Philip, Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, they, they're all people that you're gonna see through the book of Acts who are publicly proclaiming the gospel, but then you're also going to read about ordinary Christians who went everywhere speaking to people and telling them about the good news. The point is, our task is to communicate the good news to our world as they did to theirs. And so sometimes that's through, like I said, the gifted evangelist to groups of people. That's why we do outreaches. That's why we still are involved in um, kind of larger scale type of ministry where people come and we preach. We do this in England at Creation Fest. We have done this locally in um, Huntington Beach as we would go out and do our, our uh Summerfest at the beach over the years. We do this by encouraging and supporting the work of, say, Harvest Crusade. We recognize that God uses that type of thing. And so we expect to see that happen and we participate in it um, as often as the opportunities arise. But then there is the, the ordinary, everyday Christian person who would never say, I'm a preacher, I'm an evangelist, but you're talking to people. You're telling them about Jesus. You're telling them about what he's done in your life. You're talking maybe to family members. You're talking to friends. You're talking to neighbors, coworkers. Sometimes you're even talking to strangers. And listen. It is still a fact that most people come to Jesus because somebody talked to them. And that was where it began. That was where the seed was planted. Maybe eventually it, they, they came into uh, a, an environment where maybe there was more of a preaching thing coming uh, that was happening. And so they responded to that preaching. But it started with a conversation. So we can never underestimate that. I read this beautiful testimony this week on, uh, I think it was Instagram. And um, a, a local pastor actually was, was telling the story. His, um, his aunt had passed away. And so he was, he was just talking about her. He was eulogizing her. He was honoring her, ha ha having just you know, lost her in that sense. And what he was saying in the story was so beautiful. He was talking about how when she was a young girl, she was the first one in their family to become a real believer in Jesus. And how she began to share with her family members and how, you know, they just sort of thought that this was like something that hopefully she would get over after a while because it was a little bit annoying. I mean, and, you know, he was even talking about how they were, you know, they were content to go to church every now and again. And it wasn't like they didn't believe in Jesus. Of course they did. But they, who, they, like she was wanting to talk to about him all the time. And 
you know, thought that you could hear God and that God had a plan for your life and all of this stuff. And anyway, they just, they were bothered by it. But there came a point where they began to realize that they did need exactly what she was saying that they needed. And, and so it, he just goes on in this brief story and he just tells how, how eventually her witness uh, to her sister and brother-in-law, I guess it was, um, impacted their lives to the point that they committed themselves to Jesus, they left their professions, and they came to America and went to Bible school. And in the end, it's kind of the story of how this pastor ended up in ministry today because of what happened with his parents, and it was actually their younger sister that had the influence on him. So all I'm saying is never underestimate the power of conversations about Jesus with people. And I keep hearing this over and over again um, these days, just sort of random stories here and there about people as they're talking about how they came to the Lord, they're talking about how just a Christian person befriended them and shared with them and they saw in their lives something different and they knew that those people had something they didn't have. So this is one of the ways. In the early centuries of the church, it was said that evangelists preached the gospel while Christians promoted it. And that's a, that's a good way to look at it. We're all Christians. Not everybody's an evangelist, but we're all Christians. So what do Christians do? They promote the gospel. They talk about the gospel. They talk about Jesus. They talk about what he has done in their lives to others. You know, I was talking to Richard Simino this morning, and um, some of you know Richard. He's recently joined our staff, and it's one of you know my lifelong best friends. And yesterday um, was his spiritual birthday. And so he was talking about 49 years ago. We are all so old, I'll tell you. You guys are <laughs> a bunch of old people around here. Thank God there's young people too. But anyway, um, he, he was, we, were, we were talking, and I, I know his story. I've heard it many, many times before. But he was telling me this morning again because we, we were talking about that because it was his 49th spiritual birthday yesterday. Um, he was saying how this friend had come to see him who had become a believer. And he said, you know, he never told me I was a sinner. He never, you know, he, he wasn't judgmental. He wasn't, he was none of that. He said, he didn't have to tell me I was a sinner. I just knew I was a sinner. I, I knew it by being around him. And he didn't have to tell me I needed to know God or repent. I knew that. But it was through this conversation with this acquaintance, this person that he had known, that he came to faith. And now 49 years later, he's celebrating his spiritual birthday and all that, all that was involved in what God had, had planned for him. And now he's part of our uh, pastoral and teaching team here. So, okay, we're on mission. Get the gospel to people. 
We do it through preaching. We have to open our mouths. We have to speak. But also, there is a place for good works. The Bible says much about good works. Many times in, especially, I don't know, in the last hundred years or whatever, um, you know, Christians oftentimes find themselves in this kind of torn between, well, are we supposed to preach or are we supposed to just do good works? And people get divided. And so, you know, the people who emphasize the good works, they say, you know what, you need to just stop preaching to people. They don't need to be preached at. You just need to, to do good things, just love them, show them God's love, and, and that's the way it'll go. And then the other side says, oh, you know, you guys, you just think you're, you're good works. That's just social work. Anybody could do that. That's not the gospel. We're not going to do that. We're, gonna, we're just going to preach the gospel. And, you know, this is not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and. The Bible is clear that we're, we're to do both. They go hand in hand. So the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the sick, the suffering... Jesus ministered to all of these types of people. And of course, Jesus doing that means that, well, his followers ought to do the same. Jesus said, let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So preaching is essential, but we need to be living out the Christian life so that when we preach, people realize that, that, you know, there's really something to what they're saying. We can see it in their lives. The world has been filled from time immemorial with catastrophic events, pandemics, wars, failing economies, unemployment, all of those kinds of things, that, that's part of life in the world. It's part of life in the world that we live, isn't it? And we look at these things and we think, man, what is going on? It's like civilization is unraveling. Things are going completely crazy. And there's a lot of truth to that. What are we to do in the face of it? Well, one of the things we're not to do is to give up hope and to think that somehow God isn't working. You know, the truth is God actually sometimes does his greatest spiritual work in times of societal and um, moral confusion and all of that, that, and times of suffering and conflict and difficulty. God often works his greatest works during those times because those are the kinds of things that unsettle people's lives that get them to start thinking about something other than the here and the now, something other than just this moment or this week or this month or my vacation that's coming up or my retirement or it gets them thinking beyond that. Patrick Johnston, the man who wrote um, the, the fantastic book Operation World, which tells anybody who would like to know uh, he takes every country in the world and he gives sort of a spiritual, um, the spiritual temperature of it. It's a great book to, uh, to use as a prayer guide. Anyway, he wrote this book. He, he himself 
was a missionary from England to Africa, and then he became really more of a missiologist. He actually spoke on this platform some years ago, but he wrote this. Speaking about the 20th century, he said, the 20th century has been notable for terrible wars, famines, tyrannies, and immense natural catastrophes. Yet it is these traumatic events that have contributed to the harvest into God's kingdom. These negatives are an essential component. They're an essential component. Somehow, God's redemptive purposes are worked out in love, but in the context of tragedies that open hard hearts and break down barriers to the gospel. God is doing an unprecedented work in our day. These mighty works are not in spite of the disasters, but even because of them. God uses these things, and he uses the love and good works of Christians in the context of these kinds of things to open people's hearts. So we've gone through a pandemic, of course, we all know that. And some of you know that during the pandemic a couple years ago, we partnered with Saddleback Church. We started doing a, a grocery distribution one Saturday a month. We've had thousands upon thousands of families come through our parking lot here and uh, collect groceries. Some of you have been involved in serving with that. You know, that has opened up people's hearts. Why would you do this? How come you're giving out this food for free? How come you're here, uh, you know, taking up your time on a Saturday to help us out? Well, we're doing this. Let, let, can we talk to you a little bit about Jesus? And we've seen many people pray to receive Jesus. So, you see, God uses these things. And we, as God's people, we recognize that God uses these things. And we understand that because of the example of Jesus and we're seeking to live in the way of Jesus, this is, this is what Jesus' people do. They help those who are in need. So as we close, God is on mission. And his mission is to save many from among all the nations. The church is his instrument for accomplishing the mission. Now, can God do it without the church? Yes. But he's chosen to use the church. That, that's why the church is still in the world. God has left us in the world as his witnesses and to complete the task of bringing people out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel. The church is the instrument, and each one of us who believe in Jesus, we are a vital part of the mission. You're a part of the mission. You're not just a spectator. You're not someone who just, well, you know, you can't really do anything. You just go sit over here and watch everybody else. No, we're, we're all to be involved. You, I, we are the mouth that will speak for Jesus, the ears that will listen for him, the eyes that will show 
compassion, the feet that will carry the good news to those who haven't heard, the hands that will reach out and touch the hurting, the lonely, the outcast. That, that's who we are, the church. This is our mission. Now, I wanna, I wanna close by sharing an interesting statistic or, or the results of a survey that I came across recently. And I wanna share this with you because I want you to find encouragement in this. People are way more open than we think they are. People are way more open than we are told that they are. Now, how many of you are on social media here? Okay. <laughs> a lot of smart people in this room. They're the ones that didn't raise their hand. Uh, how many of you are on Twitter? Oh, wow, okay. Twitter, you guys are the really smart ones in the room because that, Twitter's like the, the crazy zone. But... You know, if you're, if you're on social media a lot or, you know, even if you're paying attention to news and, you know, programs, you know, whatever, all, all the stuff that's coming, I think, and I meet people like this all the time, I think Christians are kind of backpedaling thinking, gosh, the world hates us, the world hates our message, the world thinks we're terrible, the world... You know, they, they, they don't want to hear anything we have to say, so we better just kind of stay under the radar, just lay low. They already don't like us. I, I think a lot of Christians have been, in some way, shape, or form, <coughs> influenced to think that that is the case. But <coughs> the surveys, I think, tell us something else. Now, there, there have been... <laughs> many, many surveys done. There, there have been ones that have been done where people, like 80% of, of non-believers said that if a friend invited them to like a Christian event or to a church service, that they would be inclined to come. How often do we think like, well, I'm not going to invite them. They would never want to come to church. Oh, they don't want to hear about Jesus. Listen. So anyway, I was recently in England, as some of you know, and um, I came across... Actually, I was sitting in a lecture, and they, they walked us through a survey that was taken in the UK this past year. It's called the, the uh, Talking Jesus Report 2022. And although this was done across the UK, um, the findings are very, very similar to surveys that I've read um, that have been taken here in the US. So I, so I want to share with you, these are UK results, but they're very, very similar to um, what other uh, pollsters and you know, people who are doing that kind of research are finding here in the US. So here's, here's what is being addressed here, how non-Christians describe Christians they know. So this was a question to a non-Christian about the Christians they know. Hey, what, what are the Christians you know? What are they like? So li listen to the responses. I, I found it really fascinating. 50% of the people asked this question said that Christians were caring. 50%, that's like one out of two people said Christians are, are caring. 
So every other person thought Christians were caring. 62% said Christians were friendly. Friendly. I love that. That's great. Now listen, Britain is a different place than the United States. And, and I, I will say from experience in both countries that it is further down the road uh, away from the gospel than even the U.S. is. But that's why I find these, these so fascinating. Now, here's one where Christians didn't do so well. Only 19% were considered encouraging. Uh, 23% were considered hopeful. I like this one. 33% were considered good-humored. You know, as Christians, we, have, we, can, we can have fun. We, we're, we can be happy people. We can be good-humored. We don't have to be, you know, sourpusses. 32% considered Christians to be generous. 19% considered Christians to be authentic. Now, on the negative side, 9%, but I thought 9%, wow. Only 9% of people thought Christians were hypocritical. I would have thought, based upon what we hear so often, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, all Christians are all hypocrites. You would have thought like 90% of people thought Christians were hypocrites. No, only 9% of those surveyed. Only 4% thought that Christians were unhappy. Only 10% thought Christians were naive. 4% thought Christians were selfish. These are very low percentages, as you can see. Uh, 3% thought Christians were hurtful. You know, it's funny, because you hear sometimes people, you know, in places, media and so forth, they kind of blame all the problems in the world or laid at the doorstep of the church. But only 3%. Only 5% thought Christians were homophobic. That one was fascinating to me. And then 10% thought Christians were narrow-minded. Now, they, they asked the same question, but they asked it not about individual Christians, but they asked it about the church. And the church did not do as well as individual Christians. <laughs> now, now, that's a problem, because the church is made up of Christians, right? But we can solve that problem. We, we know the answer. We can, we can fix that. We can fix that, and we will fix that as we continue as a community to be more and more a Jesus-formed community. The more we are becoming like Jesus, the more we're going to be reflecting that to people, and so the witness of the church will uh, improve over time as, as we commit ourselves to that. So that is what we are committed to do. We will faithfully apply ourselves to those things that, that cause us to become more like Jesus, to those spiritual disciplines, time in God's word, commitment to prayer, being people who worship the Lord, people who confess and repent and seek to live godly and serve and, and witness. Those are all the things that, that we plan to do, which will then again, you know, 
it's interesting too because although the church and when you say the church i mean this is such a you know that's so inclusive of so many different things but you know a church community itself can have a powerful witness uh, even though a person might have a, a general negative view of the church they might say well oh yeah the church is bunch of hypocrites but that church wow that church is different that's what we want to aim for so again in closing look whether it's the year 223 or 2023 this is what the church has always been about worshiping and witnessing that's who we are. We are the church. We are on mission. And we are on mission wherever we are in the world. Wherever God has you, you're on mission right there. And live, live for Jesus. Let Jesus form you. Be a Jesus-formed person and talk to people. In some cases, if God calls you, preach to people. And recognize that, again, your ministry place is right where you are, but God might relocate you. He might call you to something else because the way so often that God spreads his kingdom is through Churches being established in places where there needs to be a good solid witness. Every community needs a church or numerous churches, depending on the size of the community, where people truly love God, follow Christ, believe in the scriptures, and live transformed lives. Every community needs that. And this is, this is how God historically has had this message spread. Remember Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all of the nations or all the people groups. What did they do? They went out and they started churches. Because the church is the place where all of this formation then takes place and people grow and are matured and then they replicate what's happened to them. And so you never know. God might have a relocation coming for you where he's going to take you and use you maybe in a different place, but maybe not. Start by looking around right where you're at. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people in your community, one of my favorite places to meet and share the gospel with people these days is Uber. <laughs> I think Uber's a great invention for many reasons, but I'll tell you, it's a great gospel opportunity. I've hardly met an Uber driver that's not open to talking about Jesus. So we have the bread and the cup here this morning and here's the great thing we're talking about this we're talking about you know 
we're, we're on mission. And, and all of that, again, it goes back to Jesus. It goes back to him. It goes back to knowing him. It goes back to that connection with him. And the beautiful thing that we have here with the bread and the cup is we just have this opportunity to, here we are, first day of the year, talking about being on mission. Jesus, I just, I just need you today to refresh me, to renew me, to cleanse me, to empower me that I truly might glorify you in this day to come. And that's what we have as we take the bread. Of course, it's the body. It reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. As we drink the cup, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for us so our sins can be forgiven. It basically is just a reminder that we have once again today a new start. We can start fresh today. Maybe you look back on 2022 and you think, man, what a disaster. Things were a mess. Maybe your life was a mess. Maybe you never really got with the Lord like you, you needed to and knew, knew that you, you should, but it, that's over. It's past. It's gone. His mercies are new every morning, a new opportunity today. Start fresh. You know, the time of New Year's resolutions, what are you going to do? I told Cheryl this morning, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. She's like, I've heard that for 40 years. <laughs> and I'm not even saying we should make any resolution except this one. I just want to be close to Jesus. That's my resolution. Because everything flows from that. Let's make that our goal. And let's take this opportunity this morning to just say, Lord... Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you. Lead me on your mission. Amen.